You can go ahead and turn to Genesis 3. Tricky one to turn to today. All right. Sometimes it takes horrific events like what happened in Israel to remind the world and us of great evil. We look at horrific atrocities like in Israel, 9-11, the Holocaust, and we just shake our heads sometimes. We're almost speechless at times to think of the evil that can be in this world, of the capacity for evil. We see wars and we see massacres everywhere throughout history. We learn about individuals with a tremendous evil inside of them, like Nero and Hitler, people like Jeffrey Dahmer. But those events and those people should not be the only things that remind us of evil and bring horror to our souls. Yes, those events and people had a high capacity for evil, and there certainly are degrees of evil, right? Just look at the different punishments in the Old Testament for different crimes. But that doesn't mean that other sins and other evil acts aren't horrendous. If we just looked at ourselves, we find evil. We get so used to the sin in our lives We get so used to seeing it around us. We get so used to justifying our sins, to rationalizing our sins, to minimizing our sins, celebrating our sins. Maybe we're um, dead to some of our sins. We're just so used to what we're doing that we don't even feel guilty for it anymore. Sometimes we think of sin as something fun to do. But, you know, now that I'm a Christian, I can't do it, you know, because God says not to. But, man... That those sinful days, they were fun times. We're so desensitized to sin in this world. Sin is just so common around us. It's so common in our lives. It's hard to get worked up by the quote unquote, the little stuff. It's easier to get worked up about the great evil that is out there and not so much about the evil in our own hearts. We live with it every day. We're used to it. So our passage today is one that is so common to us. It's easy to miss the gravity of it. I had a hard time writing this sermon because I think I realized at some point, like, it's so common. This story is a children's story. It's a a story that you've heard I don't know how many times, but it's easy to miss the weight and the horrific nature of what's going on here. It's easy just to, to, to slide by it, maybe look for nice little, neat little notes, right? When you preach, you want like, let's give people something that they haven't heard before. And it's easy to skip over the weight and the destruction that's going on here. I mean, this is Genesis 3, the fall of Adam and Eve, eating the fruit in the tree. This is everywhere in our children's Bibles, right? These are neat little cartoons, a nice, cute little snake, right? We're just so used to this being so desensitized. And, they're, and you know what? Adam and Eve, they just seem to merely disobey, right? Like, it's like a, a parent telling a kid, hey, don't touch that clean wall with your dirty hands. And the kid does. And you're like, oh, come on, man. You know, like it, it, it almost, if we don't, sit there and dig in, it almost seems like, I mean, is this just a trivial thing? Because we're so used to sin. And I think that's wrong. We miss the gravity and the weight of our sin, the open rejection of their creator in Genesis 3, the rebellion against God. This is the singular event in history that has led to the death of billions and billions and billions of people. And we slide right past this. One of the major problems is that we don't really understand what sin is. We don't really get it. We don't really understand what we're saying about God, what we're saying about his nature, what we're saying about his character, what he's done, who he is. And we don't understand when we sin what we're saying about ourselves. Another major problem is that when we sin, We don't really care about what we're saying about God. In that moment of sin, and you know it, 
you don't really care about what it says about God and about what you're doing. You want to do it, and so you do it. We don't feel that weight, that seriousness of committing that act. So today, I want us to try to read the story with fresh eyes, fresh hearts, fresh ears. I want us to see the horror of the story. I want us to hate the sin that we see on display in this passage. And I pray that we hate our sin as well because we see it for what it is. I want to pray about that before we we start today. Dear Lord, break our hearts for our sin, Lord. Lord, we all have sin in our lives that we struggle with, some unconfessed sin, some sins that we're holding on to. Lord, break that. Break that mentality that it's okay for that. Help us to, to see sin for what it is, to hate it like you hate it, Lord. Help us to run to you instead and to acknowledge you as Lord and as a good Lord that knows what's best for us, Lord. So break us where we need broken. Help us to feel the weight of that and help us not to try to get away with it. Amen. Genesis 3, 1 through 13. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in this garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you, whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. In verses 1 through 5, we see that you should hate your sin because your sin is rooted in horrific lies. In verse 1, we're introduced to the serpent, the crafty beast of the field. But this isn't just any regular old serpent, right? This is a serpent who is talking, who is questioning Eve. And later on, much later on um, throughout the Bible, we see who this serpent really was. And I think this was a real serpent and that it was like possessed or taken over. But in Revelation, we see Satan, the devil, referenced as that old serpent of old, right? That serpent of old, the one who deceives the nation. So this is Satan himself. So throughout this, I'm going to probably, you know, go with serpent. Sometimes I'll go with Satan. It's the same thing here. So the first thing that Satan does here is he isolates Eve. Remember Eve, Adam and Eve, um, well, you, want, you remember because the story, we've skipped this message. It'll be in a couple weeks. Adam and Eve are married, if you don't know this, and they are one flesh. And what does is, what is the serpent do here in this story? He isolates Eve. He just goes after Eve here. And so it's going to seem like we're picking on Eve for a little while, but don't worry, Adam gets his on this. And the, the serpent starts out with subtle lies to frame the question. He starts out with a subtle lie to, to frame the question. He says, did God, like, did he tell you you can't eat of all the fruit here? I mean, that's a ridiculous premise. Satan is much smarter than that. He knows what God's words are. He's not really asking, what? You can't have what? none of the fruit? Satan knows better than that. He's just framing the conversation in the way that he wants. He knows that Adam and Eve can eat a fruit in the, in the garden. 
So he's just framing the conversation towards the negative. He wants Eve to focus on a very specific thing. And Eve goes along with it in verses 2 and 3, right? She says, oh, no, God, we could eat of all the fruit of it except in the garden, except for the tree of knowledge of good and evil is what she's saying. We could eat everything but that. We can't eat it. We can't even touch it, right? Like Eve is saying that. God didn't tell them that they can't touch it. So she's already making a mistake here. She's saying something that extra didn't say. God did command them not to eat of the fruit on the, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So she is go, saying that correctly, but she has um, misspoken. I don't think that she's doing it on purpose. Otherwise, I mean, this would be the fall. She'd be lying. But it seems a little bit odd that she wouldn't remember the words correctly. Now, these words were given to Adam in chapter 2 before Eve was made. So it seems like this is something that Adam would be passing down to Eve. But she goes along with the negativity. It seems odd that she wouldn't know. If I told you that I had, that there's a billion $1 bills in here, and I put just one of those bills on this podium, and I said, you could have all of it. You just can't touch this $1 bill. The rest is yours to take. You're going to remember something significant like that, right? Like, you're not going to start adding rules. You're going to remember very specifically... Don't touch that one. We want to be 999, million millionaires, whatever that number is. It's a lot. It's a lot of numbers. I, I haven't counted that high yet. So I'm still working on it. So Eve focuses on the one don't, not all the do's. She didn't focus when Satan was saying, you can't do any of this. What does Eve focus on? She drills down to the one thing. That she's not. She doesn't focus on the blessings in the garden. She has all these fruits in this garden. She knows God personally. She walks with God. She's in paradise. She has a relationship with a husband that like, is perfect. He does the honeydew list, right? She has everything in this garden. And when Satan is saying, um, hey, focus on this, focus on this native, this one thing, you can't do this. Like, that's something should have been triggering here. What do you mean I can't do? I can do, I have everything. I have everything in here. Like, God is, he's given us dominion over the land. I'm made in God's image. I know God personally. But no, she decides to go ahead and focus where Satan wants her to focus. See, Satan is like a pickpocket. Have you ever seen, like, a professional magician pickpocket? I mean, he goes in with the premise, like, I'm going to steal your watch, I'm going to steal your money, and I've seen guys that could take their tie off you while they're talking to you. And so what they do is they go to a guy, and they just start talking and moving their hands a lot. They touch him. I'm sure it's way more complicated than this. Like, you can't just go up to somebody and start moving your hands a lot and steal the watch. But, like, they put pressure on different parts of the body. They are telling a story. They're engaging you. Meanwhile, they're literally taking the watch off your wrist. I've seen them take a tie off of people. I mean, they're so good at distracting you and getting you to think over here and to feel over there while they're robbing you blind. Also, it's really hard to do that when you have a friend that's watching the watch for you, right? If you tell your friend, look, do not move your eyes from this watch, he's going to see what's going on. But he knows than that. So he isolates Eve. He gets Eve looking and distracted. And once she goes down this road of the negativity, Satan pounces. In our own lives, we're the same way. We're not so different than Eve on this one. Have you ever been, I'm going to give you an example, and, and maybe you, 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 you've seen different examples in your own life. But let's say, have you ever been like, tempted to like, mock somebody you dislike, maybe to their face? Right? There's a ridiculous premise. Like You should just go tell them, all, tell them off and make fun of them or do something. And something in your mind is like, no. That's ridiculous. I'm not going to do that. But that idea, that negative thought is stuck in you, right? And so you're like, I'm not going to sin by doing this. This would be mean-spirited. This would be bad. But that negativity is stuck in you. And so you go to your friend and you mock them together. See, you've rejected the ridiculous premise. But meanwhile, you've been distracted and let that hate or that mockery sit in. 
interested in you. If, if that's kind of, anything like that has ever happened, some ridiculous premise that you say, no, I'm not going to do that. But that general thought is sitting in you and you maybe do something, a lesser sin to get rid of it. Right. Then you've been tricked like Eve has. In verses 4 through 5, we see that in order for Eve to sin against God, she has to believe horrendous lies about God. We should be feeling the weight of this in the passage when we reflect on this. Satan tells Eve that God is a liar. You won't die, the serpent said. God's a liar. He also tells Eve that God doesn't want them to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil because they would be like him. In other words, Satan is saying, God's not good. He's evil. He's holding them back from being all that they could be. God is holding this from you. God is withholding something good for you. He's a liar and he's evil. Did Eve respond with shock? Did she respond with horror at this? Here is this beast spewing evil and hatred towards God. Remember, she knows God. She walked with God. She had a personal relationship with God. She lived in paradise. Who's this snake to talk about God like that? Who's this snake to make me doubt the one who loves me more than anything in this world, more than any other creature or being in this world? Why would you talk about my God like that? Where is her outrage at this? Like, this is the, big, the utmost betrayal. Like, here is her good, good, perfect, holy, loving father being talked about by a snake. And she does nothing. Did she respond with shock? Did she respond with horror? Where's her outrage? But let me ask you this. Are we much different than Eve? Are we much different? Let's go to the sin of covetousness. To covet something is to desire something that somebody has, somebody else has, that God hasn't given you. And when you are coveting something, you are believing that God is withholding something good for you to have, that he is depriving you of joy, that he doesn't know what you need, You need that, that he's a liar when he says contentment should be found in him. No, God, this will make me content, not you on this. I need this to be happier. If I only had this, it's that this is it. If I only had this, then I know joy. We're calling God a liar when he says, no, no, you don't. Like, that's not good for you. Your joy is to be found in me. Where is our outrage When we struggle with those types of sins, we may not think that deeply about our sins all the time, but that is what our actions are showing. We sin without even thinking through what we believe in God. We don't even consider it. I want to do it, so I will do it. I covet because I want it. I don't care what God says. All sin is rooted in horrific lies. Second, you should hate your sin because your sin is idolatry. The end of verse 5 and into 6 says this, And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. At first glance, the tree of knowledge of good and evil seems good. It generally seems like it would be good to have knowledge of good and evil, right? What is good? What's bad? Shouldn't Adam and Eve have wanted that type of knowledge? So what exactly was this tree? Simple answer, we're not 100% sure. I'm going to try to give you um, a guess. So we have to remember that the world that Adam and Eve were living in was much different than the world that we are in. They lived in a perfect world without sin Um, uh, without evil. They were completely innocent in everything that they did. No evil within to look at and study. No evil on the outside to see. Like, they didn't know that all they had was, a, I think, a theoretical, um, like, an on-paper knowledge of evil. 
They could look all around and, and see what was good. They could look at their God-given natures that they had. And up until then, they'd only done good, kind, loving things. They could see obedience to God. But that evil was theoretical. It was on paper. I don't think they had like a... They obviously did not have an experiential knowledge of evil. Was eat, they knew that it was evil to eat of the tree and that bad things would happen. Eat of the tree of life and live and eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and die. That's what they were told up until this time in this passage. It looks like they were probably believing that. So Adam and Eve were innocent. They could see what was good and they had this theoretical knowledge of good and evil. So far, so good, right? But the serpent says that eating of the tree would open their eyes and they would be like God, knowing good and evil. So God is only good, and he has no experiential knowledge of evil. God has not committed evil. He doesn't know what evil is inside of him, right? Like, he, he has not experienced it, like, as somebody committing the act. So, is the serpent lying? Well, I don't want to get much into Kirk's message next week, because he has really the verse that... We'll um, sit on this a little bit more. But in verse 22, God says that Adam and Eve had become like him and know some good and evil. So in some sense, yes, like the serpent is telling partial truth here. Um, They will be like God. God says it like in a way, but not in the other sense, not in the way that Adam and Eve thought they would be. They weren't like God in the way that they wanted. The type of knowledge of good and evil that the serpent seems to be enticing Adam and Eve with is an independence from their God. A chance to get their knowledge not from God, but from somewhere else. They could be their own gods, deciding right from wrong. So what the serpent is telling Eve here is that God is holding you back. He doesn't want you to be like him in that way. He's saying, no, if you eat of this fruit, you're your own God. You get to decide what you want to do. You get to decide for yourself what is good and what is evil. And the tree doesn't bestow that kind of level to man and woman. No one could be on par with God, the creator of the universe. But the tree instead stood in the center as a test. Resist the temptation to go outside of God to try to be your own master. Resist that. Trust God to give the wisdom and knowledge needed to worship him, to succeed in the task that he's given you and the responsibilities, and to trust God for ultimate joy and happiness submitted to God bearing his image or don't trust God don't trust in his goodness try and find that wisdom elsewhere try and be your own gods this is the choice before Adam and Eve so Eve was tempted by that lying serpent and the temptation again was this become your own God Determine your own path for your life, deciding good and evil. You define it. You get to rule. That's idolatry. Anything we worship that isn't God or anything that we place of God is an idol. 1 John 2.16 says this, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father but is of the world. Now look in the, gen- in the language of Genesis 3, 6 with me. Eve saw the tree was good for food, flesh. She saw that the tree was a delight to the eyes, lust of the eyes. And she saw that it was to be desired to make her wise, pride of life. She saw the fruit and she took the fruit. She decided that God wasn't good. That he wasn't worthy to be worshipped and he wasn't worthy to be obeyed. That God himself didn't want what was best for her and that she wanted instead to be her own God. And so she rebelled against God. Why do we read that so nonchalantly? Do you see what's happening here? It's horrifying. Again and again, Eve knows God personally. She walked and talked with God. He had given her given her everything, dominion over all the beasts of the fields, the plants, the garden, everything. She was uh, given Adam, she was made, she was created to be his helpmate. Everything was good. Everything was good. She was made very good in the image of God. 
man and wife were the pinnacle of God's creation. She had it all. And she just let the serpent lie about God, blaspheme his nature and, her, and his character, and she says nothing. She betrayed the one who loved her the most, the one who created her, and she believed the serpent instead. The serpent. Not the creator, the created serpent. And she thought, yes, God is a liar, and he is holding me back. I could be like him. I could determine good and evil. I could rule myself. She's already given the world as Adam's helpmate, and she wants more. But I have to ask again, are we much different? Every time we sin, we are placing something above God. God says it isn't good. Don't do it. And we decide it's good. I'm going to do it. We take our judgment over God's judgment. God says it doesn't fulfill. It doesn't satisfy. But we disagree. And so we do it. That's idolatry. When we put our relationship with our spouse over God, that's idolatry. When we have pride, we're saying that we deserve the glory. That's idolatry. When, we're, um, um, when we have greed, we're putting money over God. That's idolatry. Pick a sin and follow it to this root. And you're saying, God says this, but I say this. I'm elevating this above God and his rules here. That's idolatry. Look, Jesus died for our sins. He literally saw your sin, my sin, and he had to die to save us from God's wrath. Because sin is so evil, so rebellious. We spit on God. We call him a liar. We do what we want. If you're a Christian, you're adopted sons and daughters of the king of the universe. The Holy Spirit, God himself, dwells in you. We have been promised eternal life and to dwell with God forever. Has he not proven himself good and loving and faithful and merciful? Shouldn't we believe him when he says, no, don't do that. That's evil and it's bad for you. It looks good on the outside, but it's rotten on the inside. But what do we want? We want more. We want more. We don't believe him. We aren't content with Jesus when we sin and what we have in him. Eve wanted to be her own God. And when we sin, we are serving different gods as well. The third reason you shouldn't hate your sin is because it is a rejection of your God-given role. Verse 6b. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So we get to see Adam coming into his role now. So it looks like, so remember, Eve was created to be Adam's helper, right? Adam was created first, and then he was lonely, and God said, let's find you somebody to not be lonely. And so he created Eve. She is there to help Adam like fulfill like his God-given roles. That's, I'm, saying, I'm not saying that's the only thing she's there for, but that is one of her key jobs. Like Support your husband. Help him to thrive. He needs you for this. That's her job. They were united, one flesh. And what does even Eve do? She gives Adam the fruit to eat. She helps encourage him to reject his role, not to thrive in his role. If I was a doctor and my job was to keep a patient alive and I gave him cyanide pills, I clearly have rejected my job in the most evil of ways as possible. Eve didn't just failed to help Adam out in a couple of areas. She handed him the cyanide pill. But now it's time to pick on Adam. Adam hasn't really been in the picture. Where's Adam? Where was he? Where, where's he been? Verse 6 tells us that he was with her the whole time. Now, we don't know if the, he heard the serpent talking. Maybe Adam did hear the serpent talking, and he was just letting Eve go. If that's true, my personal theory is that Adam is sitting there waiting to see if Eve would die. 
Like, not going to say anything. Let's see if she eats it. Let's see what happens. Let's roll it. God made me one wife. You know? Let's see. It's possible that he was sitting there and he heard. Maybe he did it. Maybe he wasn't there. Maybe he didn't hear, but when Eve came over with that fruit, saw that she wasn't dead and decided, huh, all right, time to rebel, let's go. We don't know exactly how it happened, but he was there. And rather than focus on, Ad, on what Adam did do, I want to take a look at what Adam didn't do. Take a look at Genesis 2.15. This is before Eve was created. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. This is a really fascinating, um, the, wor- the words in here are really fascinating. The root Hebrew word for like work it, to work, is avad. And it means to work, to till, to serve. And the root Hebrew word for keep it or to keep is shamir, which means keep, watch over, guard. The interesting thing about these two root words is that they're used together in other passages. And there's a quote I found. So they're found in elsewhere in combination in the Pentateuch, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Only in passages elsewhere that describe the duties of the Levites in the sanctuary or in the tabernacle, the temple. So like Numbers 3, 5 through 10 is an example. We don't have time. You can look it up. Um, and I've got multiple reasons to believe what I'm gonna, ready to tell you, and um, these aren't re- mostly related to the sermon, so you're going to have to chalk it up to be like, hmm, that's interesting, maybe I'll explore it later. But I think that what we're seeing in the garden is that Adam is created to be a priest king. God has given dominion over, he's given, God has given Adam words, like his, these are my commands, Adam, this is what I'm telling you, and it's Adam's job to pass these words down to his family. Remember, Eve hadn't been created yet, so he's telling Adam, here is the word of God, share it with your friends and family. Adam is an image bearer of God. They're supposed to fill the world with more image bearers. See Matthew 28 and the Great Commission. This parallels really closely with this. And Adam was given command not to eat before Eve, and he was to pass it down, I think. And it looks like God is telling Adam to do something very similar to what he would tell the Levites in the book of Numbers. Guard the garden. Guard the tabernacle. Guard the dwelling place of God. Keep the words of God by obeying me. Spread the words of God to those who come after you. Adam was made to be an active man, to obey God, to have dominion, to multiply, to work, to guard, to keep, to pass the words of God down to his family. That is what it means to be a masculine man, to be a godly man. And in the garden, in that moment, when Eve was in trouble, when his wife was in trouble, Adam did nothing. He was passive. His wife wasn't communicating God's words correctly. His wife was contemplating spiritual suicide. The great serpent had entered the garden and Adam did nothing. Where was he? He failed to be a man. He was passive. The only thing he did actively do in the story so far is disobey God. He wanted to be his own God as well. And what did that look like? The opposite of what God had designed him to do and to be. This is what real toxic masculinity looks like. A real man would have guarded the garden and his wife from that evil serpent. The dragon that deceives the whole world was in the garden and Adam did nothing. Adam chose himself. He chose to rebel against God and in so doing he let creation be flipped on its head. In this story, we have the beast of the field, the serpent taking the lead, then Eve, then Adam. But God had created Adam and Eve to rule over the beast of the field, and he had created Adam to be the head of his wife. But the opposite was happening, and Adam did nothing. Men, when you are passive, when you are not leading your family to love Jesus, When you are failing to lead your families, to guard them, 
to guard their hearts, to, to guard the, the, the people that have influence on them. When you fail to lead your family, when you fail to love your wife as Christ loved the church, you're being passive. You're doing the same thing that Adam was doing. Nothing. You're letting the world in and you're leaving the one that God has given you, your wife, to take care of, to present in front of God. Be like, I helped her. I encouraged her to love you more. And we're, when we do nothing, we're not being men. When our kids, when we are letting our wives raise our kids spiritually, we're passive. We're doing nothing. We're not being men. When we're more focused in on our hobbies, our sins, whatever, than we are our families and, our, and our, the, the church, the people of God, and, and loving them, encouraging them. When we do nothing, we're the real toxic men in this world. You have the Holy Spirit if you're a Christian, and when you do nothing, like you have that capability in you. And when you do nothing, we're no better than Adam. The last reason you should hate your sin is because you won't get away with it. You won't get away with it. Adam and Eve, they ate the fruit and they instantly saw that they were naked. They were exposed. They were ashamed. They stood in front of each other who they thought that they were and now that they saw each other clearly and they were, they were deeply ashamed. So they went and they tried to cover themselves up but they're just covering themselves up with like fig leaves and lo- it was a loincloth. Essentially, this is uh, the bare minimum that could be done. This wasn't done well. Their cover-up was a failure. At church, we could hide here. We could do the bare minimum to cover up who we are. The likelihood that we would know your secret sins is low. Somebody's got to tell us, right? If If you're... Monday through Saturday. I don't, know what, I don't know what most of you guys are doing, right? You don't know what I'm doing. It's easy to hide here. Maybe you could hide your sins from your family and your close friends. It's a little harder, but it could be done. Maybe you even deceive yourself because you've grown so cold to your sin. Like you don't even feel guilty for it anymore. What sin? I just do what I do. But you can't and you won't get away with it when you meet God. God sees everything. I mean, we know this. But functionally, how we act, we act sometimes as if God can't see what we're doing. Like Mentally, it's obvious. Yeah, God, yeah. I mean, how could I hide something from God? But how do we act? Like he's not, like, like he doesn't care. Or he does, he's not watching. We deceive ourselves. And then we also won't be able to excuse our sin away, right? We won't be able to excuse it away. When Adam, when God comes to the garden, it's like, did you eat of the tree? Like, picture this moment. Adam, a created human being, has just been caught. He's confronted by God, the king of the universe, the creator of everything. He spoke things into existence out of nothing he's timeless he's all-knowing his power is greater than we could possibly comprehend if we spent infinite amount of years thinking about it and adam stands before god and god is like did you do this like what did adam say he said no like the woman who you gave me like He has the audacity to stand in front of God in this moment, like caught, red-handed. He knows it. Like God is, I mean, how, if, if God is guessing, did you eat of the tree and you haven't said anything? Even a kid knows, I'm probably in trouble at this point. You know, time to retreat a little bit and not get grounded for a month, right? Adam sees what God is, like God is on his trail and what does God do? He bl- what does Adam do? He blames God. Like, this is incredible evil right here. We get so used to this t- 
type of uh, this story and this statement. But it is incredible evil. It's your fault. Look at who you gave me. Man, that God did not like strike him dead or reverse his entire existence. And we're all like, Adam who? Is, it's unbelievable, really. I mean, this is, man, it's insane what Adam is saying. Eve said, you know, then Eve goes, she was deceived. I think Eve is going like a different route. Like, ah, I got tricked. You know, even, and it's true, she was deceived, but there's no excuse for that either. She had God's words and she chose differently. Where's our shock at what's going on? Where's our outrage? We hide our sins all the time. We excuse our sins all of the time. Have you ever used any of these? Oh, man, I'm sorry I should have done that. I just, I've not been sleeping well. I'm tired. I don't feel well. I snapped at you. Shouldn't have done that. Work's been really stressful. Shouldn't have done that. I, I, I made a mistake. You know, all this stuff going around, and I've just been, I'm off guard. And I shouldn't, man, shucks. You know? But you, you understand, right? Like, you understand why, why I stand here. I mean, how couldn't I? I'm tired. We excuse ourselves all of the time. Adam and Eve failed. As we see in Romans 5, through Adam, we're all born with a sin nature. We also see in the New Testament, right, that, that we're all born spiritually dead. What are the repercussions of this great evil? Adam as the head, as our basically the father of humanity, passes down this sin nature to us. We're all born natural born sinners. Our sin is nature. It's our, it's our nature to sin. And like our father Adam, our sin is rooted in lies. Our sin is idolatry. It's a rejection of our God-given roles that exposes, exposes us. And ultimately, just like Adam and Eve, we won't get away with it. There's nothing that humans can do to stop it. Except for one. Jesus Christ, who in 1 Corinthians calls Jesus the second Adam. This is a new Adam. One that actually lives up to what it is to be a man. While Jesus is fully God, he is also fully man. He shows us what it's like to be a real man. The first Adam was made in the image of God. The second Adam is the exact imprint of his nature. The second Adam is God himself, not created. The first Adam falls to temptation in the garden. The second Adam resists temptation in the desert. The first Adam was a priest king who failed in his priestly duties, who failed to rule and guard the garden. The second Adam is a perfect priest king who followed the will of his father perfectly. No sinning, nothing. He loved God completely. The first Adam died for his sins The second Adam died for his people's sins. The first Adam passed passed death to his children. The second Adam passes life to his children. If you do not know Jesus, if you have not repented of your sins, if you have not put your faith in your hand your life in the hands of Jesus what we saw with Adam and Eve is what you're stuck with there's no other way around it we're born in sin we cannot love Jesus when we're dead in our sins but that's the good news like you you can't do it But Jesus, he did. 
do it. That's the good news. That's the, it right there. That's the gospel. You can't do it. The good news is, is that God himself came down from earth and he did it. And like all you need to do is to believe and give you know, your life over to him. Repent of your sins. Like You don't have to earn your way up there. There's not a lot of things for you to undo. There's nothing. God has undone them. That's our only hope to stop the believing the destructive lives of Satan. If you are a Christian, you know that, what I just said. So you need to hate your sin. You need to hate your sin. The problem is, is that we want to sin sometimes. We do the, we're the opposite of hating our sin sometimes. We love our sin. Why would I hate something here? Things seem to be going great. We need to learn what sin really is. We need to learn what we're saying about God when we choose something else. We need to learn that we're buying in to Satan's lies here. We're, we're, we're putting an idol in front of God. We're saying, God, like, I want to be rescued from my sin. Like, I don't want to go to hell. But I also think that this seems fun right here. This seems better right here. So, like, rescue me from hell. I'm going to do my own thing. We'll meet up in heaven at the gate. You say, you're in. I'm high five. Great. Did my fun stuff. Now I'm in heaven. That's even more fun stuff. This is how we live our lives sometimes, thinking that this is how it's going to work. We have to have a right understanding of what our sin is. We have to know, what does it look like to put really have my faith in Jesus? If you could live your life in this sin, thinking that you just made a, a transaction one time with God where you're saying, oh, forgive me, I'm in heaven, and you live your life in sin if you think about what that sin means and what it says about you, your belief in God, you're not a Christian. A one-time prayer that changes nothing. It does nothing. So if you are a Christian, we need to understand and feel that weight of our sins. But then not beat ourselves up for it, we need to understand who we are, what we've done wrong, and then run to the cross. Adam and Eve ran and hid in the trees from God. Instead of doing that, when the temptation comes, when things are going bad, when Satan is saying, Look at these lies, and part of you is thinking, That does look fun, that does look pleasing, that does look like it brings me contentment. Instead of listening and arguing and working through with Satan or with our sin nature, run to Jesus. Run to God. Run to your fellow um, Christians. Run to your spouse. Run to your people in this church. Do not let Satan isolate you. Do not let him convince you to cover up where you're struggling. Guess what? This sermon is hard to write because I am a sinner as well. Right? Nobody in here is perfect. There's no judgment here because I like am the chief of sinners. That's what Paul said. If Paul can say that, then I could say that. He's wrong. I'm right though. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Like, I'll let him have it, I guess. <laughs> if we so how do we get out of that? We need to reflect on who God is. We need to grow in our love of God, in our understanding of God. Like, what has God done in your life? Think about that. Reflect on that. Who is God? God is perfectly good. What does that mean? God is perfectly loving. What does that mean? He is perfectly merciful and just. Reflect on the character of God. Read your Bible to learn more about it. Study deeply. Drink deeply from that well. Reflect on who he is. That's how we defeat temptation lots of times. If we love God that much, when Satan comes and is like, hey, why don't you do this? We should just 
laugh. Like, what are you talking about? Why would he eat a carrot when I could eat a Snickers, right? Like, this is like Satan is offering vegetables. God's offering dessert, right? Like, it should be just common sense. Like, why? Why would I do that? Man, if we reflect on who God is and live in that and walk in that and, and cherish that, and if we help our family to do that, and if in turn we help each other in church do that, why would we want to sin? We don't have to choose sin. Don't be isolated. Man, like we need each other. You need your spouse. You need other Christians around you. Sometimes I'm not strong enough to say no. And I need a brother. I need my wife. I need somebody to just be like, dude, what are you doing, man? Why? And I'm like, you're right. <laughs> thanks, thanks just for the little bit, you know, the little punch. Just a, just a little bit, just to, to remind me. So, do we hate our sin? The answer is sometimes. The answer is sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. But man, I, I pray that God will give us the desire and the, the passion for Him, the, 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 the hatred for sin, that sometimes all we could stand before God and say is, I want to want to have that. I'm not there yet, but I believe you. Help my unbelief. Let's pray. Dear Lord, you, you are so good. You're so kind and loving and merciful. We all deserve death. But you came and you died for sins, Lord. You took a punishment that you didn't deserve And you're so good for that. Help me not to spit in your face and reject that throughout the week and to sin whenever I want, however I want. Lord, I don't want to be my own God. I've walked down that road. We, if we were a Christian, we, we've all, everybody in here has walked down that road and we've seen that, that it, how pitiful of a God we make. So help us to worship you and to... To, to, to desire you above all. Amen.